Everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 63. Uh, I'm James Baki, senior writer here, and of course we have Ratio, editor-in-chief. How you doing, H? Good to see you again, James. Likewise, always a pleasure. I'm extra excited today because uh, in this episode we're going to be pairing two subjects that I'm personally very invested in, uh, specifically cars and watches. So... With that smooth segue, I'm going to be really excited to say today we're joined by Cole Pennington, uh, editor at Hodinkee. He's a watch aficionado, uh, automotive enthusiast, and a fan of aviation as well. Cole, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, really, the pleasure is mine. This is uh, one of the few times I get to go on a car podcast, so I'm, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, I think it's going to be a good episode. We've got a few talking points lined up, uh, most of them designed to give us uh, basically just an opportunity to nerd out and uh, have fun with our shared hobbies and interests. But uh, before we dive into that, uh, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, uh, your background, and how one even ends up working at Hodinkee. I, I even have a hard time <laughs> <laughs> articulating the path or, or saying this is how you, you get there. But for me, uh, it, well, it was, it was by accident, to be honest, uh, completely by accident. I've been an enthusiast of, of watches since high school, I guess I would say. Bought my first Seiko Monster back in the day, which you might be familiar with. Uh, it's an entry point for a lot of folks. And kind of been watching or writing about watches on the side for, I don't know, since 2010-ish. And one day I was at a Hodinkee event... This is while I had other jobs and kind of struck up a conversation with the founder of Hodinkee, a guy named Ben, Ben Clymer. Yep. And the rest is history. He kind of said, Hey, you ever thought about, you know, you know, right. I, I pitched him a story at the time I was in grad school and, it, <laughs> and we were in a, a kind of like a law journalism class where you had to use FOIA, the freedom of information act to mm. request documents and so forth. And a lot of my peers were, you know, taking the local governments to task and so forth. And my idea was what if I could request these pictures from NASA and so forth that have never been seen before and do some watch spotting, like see what's nice. on the wrist of people, you know? And, and, and there's actually some very interesting car spotting too, believe it or not from, from that era. But I took that idea casually to Ben at a Hodinky party. And the next thing I was, you know, interviewing for a job and, uh, it's been three years and change since, so. Uh, that that's that's how it happened for me. I don't know how it happens for anyone else. That's that's actually fantastic. Actually, there's quite a few similarities there in how I ended up. <laughs> Look at he's Horatius yeah, just laughing. That's that, there was there was no planned uh, do step one two three and then that'll get you here. It was just me being annoying and commenting on a bunch of uh, articles. <laughs> And uh, I think you reached out Horatius and you're like, hey, you seem to be really into cars and BMWs. Do you want to? Do you yeah, exactly. Write something. I feel like most of the guys that work with me today, they kind of started that way. Also, call. I mean, they were either you know fans of the website, or they were commenting, or some people just submitted stories, and then from there it just turned out into a you know more consistent job for some of them. But um, I also like the idea of having um, not the younger people you know joining me, but really just you know enthusiasts, you know, not necessarily car enthusiasts, but people that wanted to kind of join this 
revolution of new media, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I started the blog a long time ago, just to, you know, a side note, like nobody cared about blogs, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, what's a blog, you know? So um, I was excited to have, you know, a young guys on, you know, to kind of join me. So similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you saying I'm old now? <laughs> <laughs> We're all older now. <laughs> the, the thing about watches, at least, and this is kind of true for cars I'm seeing, and we can talk about this, it's changing with cars, but for watches, it's such a, stayed industry it's it, it's like uh you have to go to the boutique try the watch on so forth mm-hmm. that's what and when when ben started this blog a long time ago people were like ah you know talking about watches on the internet it's not going to go anywhere like this is a brick and mortar game and that yeah. turned out not to be true as with many things so yeah it's back in the beginning no one cared about blogs now it's the primary way that enthusiasts can engage with each other and also sort of centralized media outlets so it is interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think there is any more differentiation in between I don't know, a newspaper and a blog anymore or a magazine and a blog. It's really one and the same, really. Totally. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we don't differentiate anymore. But, you know, um, early on it was kind of tough to um, to get, you know, automakers and, you know, companies to kind of accept the idea of, uh, of a blog. So that was the... And now they're, the they're coming crawling back to you and asking you to be on the show and, and the site, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think now they're paying a lot of attention to YouTube also. So now our our goal is how do we stay relevant when it comes to videos too? But that's another story. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so I mean, the, the common theme that you find in basically what we just said so far is that like, if you're passionate about something or you love something, mm-hmm. you will kind of meet other people that share the same interests. And if a connection is made, it's it's very evident and obvious when there's pure passion for something, it kind of just comes out. And I think sort of talent notices talent and they go, hey, I would love to kind of have you be a part of this thing that I'm doing. Do you want to join in? Yeah, so I it's think uh, it's safe to say. Real yeah, recognize ahead, real is, is it is what I said. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, I think it's safe to say that yeah, there's there's a lot of cross pollination that happens between uh, the automotive, the aviation, the maritime, and even uh, you know the watch communities um, as a whole. Um, Cole, being that you kind of specialize in watches and we specialize in cars, uh, now that our two worlds have kind of officially come together via this podcast and knowing that you've explored these arenas in the past, um, specifically racing. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on like experiences tied to all of this? Like how do you merge these two worlds, cars and and watches as a whole? Interesting. Well, first thing, don't take pictures of your watch in front of your (laughs) steering wheel. That's the first thing not to do. This is one way to Uh to not merge these two worlds. This Mm -hmm. is kind of trite and, and overdone, but, um, I think what's what's interesting, a few things, a few points. So first one, we just launched this thing called Neighborhood Watch, and it's basically like a travel guide to a new city as a watch fan. So where do you go to engage with horology and, you know, are there collector meetups, this, that, the other thing. So I was writing one on Miami, and uh, one of the guys there said the best, and, and part of it is where do you go to do watch spotting? Not necessarily, you know, go to the boutique or whatever. Like, where can you go see the watch in the wild? And one of the guys said the best watches come out at car meetups, ironically. (laughs) Um, So I think this is an interesting point, right? Because it's already happening, but no one has really managed to capitalize on centralizing the two hobbies in an organized fashion. And I think that's okay, actually. Like, 
like kind of like once you organize something, it, it doesn't become cool anymore. It becomes kind of right. lame. Like we're going to do a car watch meetup. Like, yeah, eh, I don't know if I would go for something like that, but I think experience wise, how can you blend the two? My honest answer is it's actually rather personal. It's not as democratic or involved with a group. It's a much more personal thing, kind of uh, mm. philosophically examining both cars and watches and the crossover and culture. Once you try and force it, it becomes a little like cheesy, you know, mm. almost like another uh, vein of watch cardom would be branded watches. And maybe we'll talk about that later. But, you know, like Porsche design uh, right. does a watch this and that like a little too, too much heavy handedness. Mm. And it. it you know, you got to head for the hills. So I think it's the same way with experiencing watches and cars. It's a, it happens more in your own mind than out in the real world, you know? Mm. Well put. I mean, I, the first thing that popped in my mind was the Ferrari Panerai sort of collab that happened, mm. but I'm not going to lie. If BMW and, and Breitling joined forces, I would lose it. So, <laughs> well, they, you know, I will say like, and, and I have, you know, met with George Kern many times and I'm not afraid to say this, but, and I, I wouldn't think I, he's not either, but like Breitling for Bentley was, yeah. a, it was a failure. I mean, yeah. this is, like, <laughs> yeah. so it would be nice to see Breitling and they, they've kind of have, they're hitting their stride recently. It would be great to see them pair with a modern commercial automaker. Uh, they did do a bunch of tribute watches to Shelby, uh, and those guys, Corvette. but, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so kind of American icons, but yeah, it'd be very interesting to see where they would take something like, you know, BMW as a brand and, and transmogrify it in, into a watch. It'd be very interesting. Oh. I agree. Well, if you're listening, <clears throat> anybody make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's get silly with, uh, with another thing. Uh, let's do a hypothetical because these are my favorite because mm -hmm. they make me feel like I'm seven. All right. So the three of us, uh, you know, we all we all win the lottery. Uh, just an obscene amount of winnings. Uh, I think you know where this question is going. Um, what Grail watch and what Grail car do you purchase? And I'll start to kind of set the tone a little bit. I'll just kind of get an idea of what's going on. Um, the first watch that I would get it would be the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak Open Work Grand Complication. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that thing is insane. Um, I like bigger watches. It's 44 millimeters steel and titanium and the complications are just beautiful to me. And, uh, of course, because I still want to make the connection between BMW, uh, I would get the McLaren F1 GT, the original, uh, mm -hmm. that extended body work, long tail. Um, it's just gorgeous to me. Uh, plus yeah, the BMW connection. So this is very much the vein of silliness that we're going for right now. Now, Cole, what, what grill watch and grill car would you get? This is, you know, this is a, a an exercise as old as mm. lotteries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I don't think it's silly. I think it's great. It's fun. I would say tough one. I'll go car first. Yeah. Um, there is a car that caught my eye. I was at Goodwood Revival two or three years ago and visiting the Royal Automobile Club in the downtown London. And on display, they had one of these... Uh, they call them Sanction 2, so they're continuation cars of a Aston Martin DB4 Zagato. Okay. And it just, like, right. it was, yeah, it was, you know, 
a lot of feelings, I assume. Yeah, exactly. It was one of those yeah. moments. I would say that. Or I also like the uh, Alpha 1900 Super Sprint by Zagato as well. It's kind of the predecessor to the uh, Giulietta SS Sprint Speciale. So also, you know, same vein as that Zagato. Really bulbous, beautiful, flowy bodywork. Um, that would be my girl car. And obviously those are hard to find. Extremely. So and, you need yeah. a lot of cash for that. <laughs> but that's fine because you have it. Cause, exactly. You know, we won. <laughs> um, for the watch, I think um, if we're talking lottery and, and sort of money's no object, it's not going to be a watch that exists just yet. It'll be a piece unique. Ah, well, so yeah. I would probably go to Lange and ask them to make me a in in they have one, a series called the 1815 line which mm -hmm. is based mm -hmm. on old you know so you, you know the watch so there's the up down there's the basic one and there's one that's kind of an oddball already called the homage to walter Lange, which is uh has a deadbeat seconds complication so kind of already strange but i would ask them to make it in an unusual metal with a dial color that hasn't been done yet and it would request that they only do one piece of that only. <laughs> one of one truly exactly i think that would be the way you'd basically pull a, a john mayer <laughs> kind of yeah <laughs> okay i love it yeah speaking of langa so I actually had a chance to um have dinner with them at the uh, villa d'este concorso d'eleganza just a few months ago yeah, yeah so I, I for some reason i ended up at their table i don't know how so uh, some of the top people were there. Yeah, so we had a great conversation about watches. I mean, I was truly fascinated. But speaking of a unique watch, I think they uh, every year they make a special watch for the winner there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did the same thing this year. And I saw it. It was beautiful. So um, And great people, too. So I learned a lot about the company also by just talking to them and how they think about watches. So it was quite interesting. Yeah. I think it deserves an article on its own. <laughs> it was a salmon dial datagraph or something. One yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, yeah, very cool watch. Yeah, so they, um, yeah, so, and they have a nice display there too inside the uh, the villa. They're kind of the sponsor of the whole thing. And they bring some really unique watches and you kind of have the whole weekend to kind of just talk to them really. But um, yeah, that was cool. I right, envy. So let me, uh, yeah, your turn. Let me try. What would you yeah. do? So I'm going to go to two extremes because I'm going to keep it on, on the same spot with Villa. That's the, I saw the Rolls Royce Boat Tail. So that car, it's about, I don't know, 38 million, 40 million. So <laughs> I'm going to go to that extreme, okay, right? right? I will definitely pick that just because it's unique. Yep. There are only, I think, five that are going to be made. So that will be a cool one. But now to kind of keep it real on the watch side, honestly, I will be okay with just the Daytona. Mm. And mostly just, I mean, mostly because of Instagram, right? <laughs> like, I, like, I feel like... like we'll get like there. I've, don't worry. I've, we'll get to that. I feel like I've liked that watch before, but I... I love it now, so uh, it's it's probably because of the hype, right? And and I'm gonna admit to that. But um, I had a chance to actually saw one a couple of weeks ago, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's still a nice watch despite all the hype, and it's attainable, right? I mean, sort of, right? It is. Yeah. I think the more than, more than the gold not. one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that would be a cool watch to have, and I think if you want to have a watch collection, you need one of those in there, you know. Well, yeah. bold statement. Yeah, kind of cheesy, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. You fell for it. You fell for it, H. I actually like, want to uh, know your opinion on the on the Daytona. So since we're on that topic, yeah. tell me what you think about the whole Rolex and Daytona thing. Who goes first? You go first. You're the guest of honor. 
Yeah, I think it's a this kind of like mm, this happens to to cars too. But there's something that's well made. A well, first off, I guess let's rewind to the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s. More so, late 90s. The Daytona was not popular at all. Like, in fact, like Rolex aficionados shunned the watch. Thought it was you know gross, bad proportions, cheaply made. Also, keep in mind at that point. It was using a Zenith El Primero movement. It wasn't yeah. even an in-house movement at the time, which other Rolex calibers were. Um, and you did, there's stories of dealers that couldn't even get rid of them. They literally couldn't give them away. They had like buckets full of them. Um, they would they would pair so them up with with other purchases, right? That's right, and they would use it yeah. as incentives, exactly yeah. to like, oh, you get a free whatever. So that kind of underscores the notion to me that. And you just touched on it. Hype is a real thing. It is a good watch. The Daytona is unequivocally a good watch. No doubt about it. It does have interesting pedigree uh, and real racing history and so forth. I mean, they're, they used to be given out to the winners of uh, Rolex 24. I don't know. I don't necessarily understand the hype, to be honest. But I also kind of don't really love hype watches. But I also understand that... Hype watches, it's just their time in the sun, right? Their day happened to come when we're in we're like this podcast. So you mentioned Royal Oak, the Daytona, all these things. Like, I hate the hype, but respect the watches. Uh, I think it kind of damages the hobby in a way because it can turn people off. Like, if, if they don't know enough about it and don't bother going a level or two deeper, they just kind of look at what's going on in the watch world. I mean, I would be totally turned off and be like, ugh, this is like pretty lame, right? Mm. So that's my only issue with it. It's more of the effect it has on our community and collecting as a whole rather than, I mean, the Royal Oak, fantastic watch in its own right. Um, same with the Daytona. Daytona's a, a true tool watch, which is cool. I mean, that, that huge, hunky ceramic bezel, I, I find quite attractive. Um, and also the fonts on the Newman Daytonas are very cool. But you're not going to see me, you know, lusting after one anytime soon, to be honest. That's I mean, with the me. billions of dollars that you've won through the lottery, you know. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. Just add it one day, eventually. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about the hype. Um, yeah. I just had a pod, actually, um, an interview with a, um, uh, one of my friends, Eric. Um, his family owns Resni Jewelers. It's a mm. huge boutique uh, in, uh, in Illinois. And... Um, and great guys by the way and uh, we talked about you know the hype and all of that and he said you know that the hype really started even pre you know covid but it it got oh, yeah. really worse now because of the supply and all of that but he said it, it it doesn't matter how many watches rolex would actually make there would still not be enough to meet all this demand right now and clearly you know some of that hype comes from the social media for uh, sure almost all of it i would say but we're, say, we're yeah. partially to blame i'm not going to we're we're part of perpetuating the machine but it's almost <laughs> chicken and egg like what comes first right like so covid supercharged this massive uptick in prices and so forth that's certainly true but a lot of these watches were still you had to know someone to get them yeah even since like 2016 17 i would say sort of the the hype machine took off and then covid made it more like from you gotta wait a little while and know someone to like yeah you're gonna you really have to get lucky you know yeah 
Yeah. The sentiment of, uh, uh, sorry, that, that decision, that split decision that maybe everyone that's into watches has had of realizing how much MSRP is on a piece and then watching, uh, or like researching and finding out what, uh, what the market is charging mm. for it is, uh, to your point, pretty depressing, damaging, and like, just like, you know what? I, no, I can't. There's no way. The thing that I thought that if I could save for a couple years and reward myself for is now astronomical and completely unattainable. Yeah, it's you know, it's like, left a lot of people feeling bitter, and and we see it in the the commentary out on the site every day. We we review the comments, and people aren't shy to express the same sentiment that you just voiced. And I would say, in one way. Uh, one way I'd like to, you know, I don't, but if I could just reply to every single one, I would say, well, there's mm. so much wonderful watchmaking happening beyond mm. these hype brands. But the other thing too is, and this, this is not, this is an unconfirmed part of the equation. I don't know if this is true, but this is just a hunch I have. I think, uh, a lot of people and myself included, like are looking for an interesting value store as well. So obviously as things like, you know, global conflict happens or Corona and all this stuff, markets tend to fluctuate in response to that. So where does the money go? Well, it goes to gold or tangible assets or something like that. So we've seen an influx of people that aren't necessarily watch people yet. And that leaves the people who have been saving and looking at these things for years leaving you know leaving him feeling like you know well what the heck did i do wrong like i must have missed the boat or you know so it is interesting to watch that happen but the good news is there's life beyond rolex and patek and ap and stuff you know right so a rising tide raises all shifts uh, all shifts all ships right i mean uh with with the increased uh number of eyeballs looking at watches it's nice to to get uh, additional fresh new eyes that maybe wouldn't have been looking because uh it, it wouldn't have been looking at other brands that are not Rolex or AP or Vacheron to a certain extent uh, to go. Yeah. You know what? No, I, yeah, this is out of my league. I can't. So what else is there on the market for mm. the $10,000 that I managed to save over five years by pinching left and right? You know, like I do still want to reward myself for something. What, what can I do that with? Mm hmm. Uh, so that leads me to another question, uh, specifically for you, Cole. Uh, so you strike me as someone that like kind of takes your watches on adventures and you kind of connect with them in their sort of natural, uh, let's say, habitat. Um, if in 2021 your most worn watch was a toss-up between the Rolex GMT Master II uh, and the Seiko SEQ uh, 029 for 2022... That's right. I did my research on you, Cole. I was going to say, <laughs> it's SRQ, by the way. But SRQ. I was super uh, impressed. Yeah. I'm so close. So, so close. What, <laughs> hey, don't what ask watch me has about been... BMW model numbers, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> that comes next so that I can feel better about myself. <laughs> what, uh, what watch have you been uh, wearing the most? What watch has been getting the, the mileage for 2022? It's, it's, it's March, so. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, the year is not even halfway over yet, or it's not even no. beginning, really. No. But I definitely have been wearing the, the GMT a lot. Believe it or not, there's been a ton of travel recently in the watch industry because all these brands, for you know, close to two years, they kind of put everything they had on you know 
they took a hiatus from organizing activations and this sounds crazy but the watch world is just as crazy as like car launches and everything like as you saw like villa dust on lake como that's a watch thing yeah. just as much as a car thing so these exactly. events happen all over and i've been lucky enough to do a few of them recently and uh one you have this gp ice race in europe then you know stuff in switzerland then all over the united states and uh so i've been wearing the gmt just to for the functionality of two time zones and it's really you know and i just said there's a lot more watchmaking beyond rolex and that is true <laughs> but rolex is a very good go-to watch it's a controversial opinion that i have is that it's an excellent beginner's watch because you go to the store you buy it you know it's going to be real and you can wear it forever um, but it also is just kind of a marvelous piece of engineering um, and steadfast and reliable. The Seiko I wore a lot last year because I was outside. I mean, it's still winter, right? So I'm in Utah, and it's a lot of time indoors if I'm not, uh, you know, out traveling and so forth. So that's why the, the GMT has, has been on the wrist quite a bit. Uh, however, there's potentially something coming. So the watch I have my eye on. That I Go think on. would make an excellent daily wear watch, and that's the Grand Seiko. Heck yeah. Uh, SBGK289, SBGH289. SBGK is the, is the other watch that I usually wear. It's a it's part of their Elegance collection. Probably, I don't know if anyone can see it, but it's this. It's, uh, oh, yeah. I that's see. beautiful. It's great, you know, high beat manual line that's movement. Nice. But power reserve. Power reserve indicator, yeah. sub seconds at uh, nine. But this new. Grand Seiko really caught my eye. I went to go see it, and I'm thinking, like, this is an excellent watch to wear every day. And it's the, yeah, SPGH289. It's their high-beat dive watch. So you get, like, really high-end horology and high-end watchmaking in more or less a tool watch package that is akin to, like, a, a Seiko SKX diver. Like, you know, an entry-level Seiko diver. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like the high-low. That, I think, will be landing in April. And I, I think... That'll kind of uh, knock the GMT out of the rotation for a while because a dive watch just has that that inherent toughness that that makes yeah. it perfect for wearing every day. I'll take it off the bracelet, I slap it on a rubber strap, you know. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And is that uh, thirty six hundred beat? It is. Yeah, exactly. Both both 36. that watch I showed you, the yeah the Elegance Collection and this dive watch are, are thirty six hundred, thirty six thousand. That's awesome. Thirty six something 000, on the yeah. GMT. I do have a question for you on the GMT since, you know, I just went to Resnitz recently to just kind of look at watches <laughs> because the wait list for Rolex is it's crazy anyway. So I was just kind of looking and trying out things. But I was looking with Eric and he was showing me the uh, the Pepsi clearly and then the Batman. And uh, he was showing both of them on uh, on Jubilee and also on the, on mm -hmm. the Oyster. So I kind of put them on to kind of see which one works best. But honestly, if I were to have that choice tomorrow to get one of those, I wouldn't know which one to pick as far as the bracelet and both the watches. So first, let me ask you this. Which one would you pick in between the GMT and the Batman? And then which bracelet goes best with each one so, of them? Because he was telling me that on the Pepsi, he thinks that the Jubilee works best. But then if you were to get a Batman, he would go with the Oyster. I kind of agree with that. So, all right. Between Pepsi and Batman, Pepsi, unequivocally for me, simply because yeah, okay. it's kind of a nod to the historical aspect of the watch to me. Mm -hmm. And that's more what I'm into than, like, put it this way. I've been into the, the Pepsi for since, like, the late 90s, 
like seeing Rolex yeah. ads and National Geographic, Air and Space, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would actually say I'm a GMT guy, not a Rolex guy. So like, I love the Pepsi okay. simply because of what it represents. I mean, it's been on the wrist of many astronauts, test pilots. Yeah, the link to aviation and so forth is very strong. Batman, I know this is also a controversial opinion, but I just <laughs> don't love the color combo. I mean, mm-hmm. the Pepsi yeah. came at a time, so it was a direct nod to uh, Pan Am. So it, you can clearly trace, all right, well, where did this color palette come from? Well, it came from the airlines, right? The Batman, you can't really do that. And blue and black... I think it's great for some people. For me, personally, I would rather go what they call noir, the all-black bezel, than mm-hmm. than blue and black, yeah, just because no. it's pretty loud for what it is, and there's not necessarily a reason for it to be loud. Like, for instance, the Pepsi does. You can point to why it is red and blue. So I would go Pepsi, and I think the Jubilee, Jubilee bracelet is Jubilee. the way to go. I don't like polished center links, so... The original 1675, which is the original GMT Master, and then the GMT Master 2, never had polished center links in the Oyster bracelet. It was, you know, brushed bracelet. Yeah. And when you think of, like, Chuck Yeager, you're thinking of that. You're not thinking of polished center links to me. So that's why I would go Jubilee for for any uh, modern Mm -hmm. six-digit ceramic GMT, Mm -hmm. except I think you can't do that on some of the gold stuff. But I think that would be very cool to reinstate a yellow gold jubilee. Uh, yeah, that would be great. But yeah, that, that's what I would say for that. Good luck if if you like that. Good luck scoring one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably need a lot of luck and a lot of time to even be considered to get one these days, right? Well, you had a guy in the podcast. Maybe he can help you out. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> someone that was in the watch industry. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Uh, speaking of complications, right. let's go into like innovations. Mm. Let's talk about innovation. So everybody knows like automakers operate in like product cycles that range between like five to 10 years or so um, where they update certain models with more safety, security features, laser lights, hybrid drives, many other things. Um, the watchmaking industry, on the other hand, seems to introduce innovations at a uh, much more, uh, let's say, uh, glacial pace mm. <laughs> centuries even uh i mean we have like what the coaxial escapement uh ceramic bearings um why do you think this innovation is a lot slower in watchmaking i mean uh, and and what do you see as like the next big innovation sort of heading our way um interesting so i guess with with cars your life is at stake so mm, mm. safety is almost uh, necessary, like advancements in safety technology. And also you could argue that, you know, fossil fuel consumption is a concern. So you have to move towards hybrid technology. So there's a reason to drive advancements in te- technology in the automotive industry. In watchmaking, it's almost the opposite. So it's, yes, there are technological advancements that occur. And, and I'll get to that in a second. But I think... It's important to understand the framing in that people like mechanical watchmaking because it doesn't change and it celebrates an analog philosophy towards engineering and design. Um, We also, we had the quartz crisis, right? We we call it a crisis. I don't know if it was really a crisis, but (laughs) we had 
a shift in the worldview of watchmakers and people in the industry, like, oh, quartz is the future and so forth, much like the electric car shift is happening now. That shift is here to stay. Quartz crisis, we found that, well, there is a market for people who appreciate something that's well-made and purely mechanical. So you don't really want advancements in the watchmaking world that fundamentally change the architecture of a movement. You just want advancements in things like efficiency and material and vibrations per hour, like we were talking about high beat. Zenith is doing some crazy work in high beat stuff. Mm. I would say that the biggest innovation lately would be in hairspring material technology. So that's been metal for a long time. Now we're going to synthetics. Uh, that is, you know, nothing to a lot of people. Like that doesn't even mean anything to a lot of people. However, to a watchmaker or someone who's fascinated with the engineering side of things, it's interesting. It's almost like thinking of something like um, uh, integrating a titanium subframe with a carbon fiber monocoque tub or something. Like taking a synthetic material and a naturally occurring material like titanium, fusing them together instead of, you know, something that wouldn't have been possible back in whatever, 90s and earlier. Uh, 90s, mm -hmm. that's not true. We were still using that stuff. Let's say 60s. So introducing new materials in watchmaking is the future and where we're at now. And even to a degree, like if you look at brands like, uh, oh, let's say the, the concept pieces by AP or Richard Mille, all that stuff. We see a lot of experimentation in material science there too. So different kinds of carbon fiber, different lightweight metals, using machining to skeletonize cases or anything any piece of the watch to make it lightweight so same techniques that you might use in something useful and meaningful like a car but applying it to something that's not really useful or meaningful like a watch but that makes it cool right so that that's where we're going i i think so that's that's a really, really great way of like looking at things. Uh, to be clear, if anyone's listening here and going like these guys are talking about watches, like they're, uh, we know that watches are not uh, critical components of anyone's lives uh, <laughs> in this day and age. It's uh, we have we're surrounded by digital screens. We have we can tell the time very quick. I have about five different ways of figuring out what time it is right now, just by the number of screens that I'm surrounded. So we <laughs> we're aware. It's it's very much a uh, want to have. Uh, it's it's a want, uh, not a need, um, for for folks. But it was yeah. interesting that you said analog, yeah. though, because uh, just as a side note, once again, um, I had an interview recently with the BMW designers and the chief of design, and, and um, I was telling them um, the feedback that I get from uh, from our audience is the younger generation is more into mechanical or analog BMWs today, so they kind of want to stay true to that, you know, BMW classic mm. looks inside and out, while maybe the older generation or the older crowd wants more like, you know, tech advancements, you know, uh, bigger screens inside the car, more comfort features. So it, it's quite interesting from, from the car world to see actually the younger generation, the Millennial being interested more into mechanical watches, but also kind of analog cars, um, which I would have thought it would be vice versa. You know, the older crowd to kind of love that. You know, um, so that's an interesting shift also mm. in the mentality of uh, BMW fans. Well, it's it's curious because you have uh, you you have let's say the older generation that now perceives the advancements in technology is like, oh, I don't have to shift gears like the transition from like manual to automatic. Like, why would I want to shift gears? Like, of course, I want an automatic car that could just do that for me. Um, interesting point, though, you, you're saying um, 
younger generations looking back and wanting that mechanical sort of like physicality with an object, which, um, which is curious, which again, if we fast forward, let's say 20 years into the future, who's to say that, um, like fossil fueled old school manual transmission cars aren't going to be something like of, of like a watch, right. Yeah. Where we see, we appreciate this like core mechanical, um, component that harks back to a era long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads us nicely into the next subject, which yeah. is a continuation of old school manufacturing uh, and and like legacy sort of uh, work and craftsmanship. Uh, um, as is the case with most industries, automation and machine finishing is very common, uh, both in automotive and the watch industry. Um, I'm curious to explore, like, is there a worry that old school hand-built watchmaking from like master watchmakers will disappear? Um, yeah, there's, it's getting, it's an art form to, you know, think about a car, you have large components that comprise a vehicle, um, now take all that mechanical engineering and sort of know how and shrink it down onto something that fits on your wrist. Um, that, that requires true craftsmanship. Uh, if, if you're one of the old school watchmakers, um, as someone that's connected to the watch world, Cole, um, do you know, or are there any programs in place to pass this knowledge down to the next generation of watchmakers, sort of to like preserve the, the know-how and the things? And then just what is your general sort of, uh, thoughts on this subject? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, industrial manufacturing and industrial grade high-end finishing, something like what Grand Seiko does, not they have, they have something called a micro artist studio as well, but standard Grand Seiko's standard mm, eh, from Rolex too. also this sort of finishing level is done mostly by machine. And that's not a bad thing because it makes it more accessible to people in a way. If the kind of watchmaking you're talking about is, uh, you know, George Daniels, FP Jorn, like old school everything's done by hand watchmaking that it's definitely not going away if anything there's a revival actually um hmm. the rex Epricepi of acrivia is rising up in this world and we're seeing newcomers every day someone is at least attempting that we we have a column called one to watch which is exploring people who are entering the game and i would say 25 percent of those are the kind of watchmaking that you're describing we're seeing young people like there's this guy, there's Keaton Myrick in the American Pacific Northwest. There's Bradley Taylor up in Canada. Uh, there's Ian Sean who that's, he does more machining stuff, but he's out of Philly. There are people, a younger generation here stateside that is very focused on reviving this and keeping it going. And in Europe, there are apprenticeships like people, kill to come out of watchmaking school and get an apprenticeship with, you know, X, Y, and Z, all the names, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not going away anytime soon. In fact, like if you look at Jorn, for instance, those watches were 20 grand a few years ago. Now they're 40, 50, same ones. Yeah. So the demand is there. And as long as the demand is there, the skill will follow. And I don't think the demand will fall out of style anytime soon. If anything, it's quite the opposite. And it's also becoming a viable career path like HSNY, the, Horological Society of New York. They have multiple scholarships for underprivileged folks to even get into watchmaking at, at every level, wherever they want to take it. If they just want to be, uh, you know, uh, 
repairman versus be the next Acrivia or whatever. So it's mm. it's here to stay. And I, the area of horology that I'm most interested most interested in. There's a guy Jack Forster who you should know if you're into watches. He's, oh, oh, I love yeah. I love Hey Houdinki. Yeah, Hey Houdinki. Yeah, exactly. So he <laughs> is really the expert when it comes to that realm of horology. High end hand finishing every piece one guy i'm most interested in industrial grade stuff looking at that uh even though watches are irrelevant like we talked about i like when watches are designed to solve a complex problem um or not so complex <laughs> just just a standard problem just a function forward watch is interesting to me and that's usually not going to happen when people have to you know hand polish bevels of every single bridge and yeah. so forth so I'm more interested in things like what, what Seiko can do and what Rolex can do, what Omega's doing with materials and so forth. The high-end stuff like Lange, you know, not everything is, is finished only by hand. It's A lot of it is done by machine, and then it goes to each department, you know, assemblage, and the next thing down the row, and it gets treated by a human. That's a nice thing to have that human touch, but I think the most interesting area of horology is using modern manufacturing techniques to be more efficient and create things that we couldn't do before. Right. Because modeling something by hand at some kind of like micron level with the human eye uh, and maybe some magnify uh, magnification is endlessly more complex than, yeah, just having a machine that can assist with that and maybe have the human eye at the end to kind of bless, let's mm. say yeah. <laughs> everything at the end. Awesome. It's good to know that there's resources out there. And I'm really glad that you mentioned some um, like old school watch um, creators, some watchmakers so that folks can follow up and, and dig into that if they're interested. And also that you mentioned that there's um, uh, programs in New York that um, are offering people that are interested in entering the, the field um, sort of a gateway that they can follow up on. Horatio, you got anything? Uh, no, no. I'm waiting for Cole to tell us, uh, you know, uh, the cars that he yeah. loves the most. So maybe Let's we should switch cars. a little bit to that. And then we want to, at some point, we want to pair some cars with watches. Not necessarily BMWs, but just uh, it's a fun exercise that we that I sometimes totally. do also when we write about that. But um, tell me maybe what, you know, your love for cars, because you... you used to write for Jalopnik. I have right? written so maybe, for Jalopnik. I wrote more um, extensive your pet for Petrolicious. Um, but I've done a few pieces. Oh, Petrolicious. I, yeah. I thought it was Jalopnik. Yeah, Jalopnik too. Yeah, um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I love Petrolicious. I mean, I, I met these guys quite a, quite a bit in in the past before mm -hmm. the ownership change. And I was always fascinated about their um, their their video quality and, and the uh, storytelling and all of that. For the time, it was, yes, it was way ahead of its time. Um, way ahead. I mean, I'm surprised that it didn't blow up even more on YouTube, honestly. I mean the quality was just all the way up there compared to what we see today is, you know, some I agree. car bloggers. Um, so tell me how did I, how did you get into uh, that maybe sure. Petrolicious and your love for cars and so I guess there's, that. there's a few elements here. Um, I've been a Saab guy. I was a Saab guy in high school and college. Nice. Uh, 9.3, 9.2X, a 9.3 Vigan. Yes. Um, what else here? And that, that was it actually. So, but tuned those. And, and for that, back in the day, this is, you know, I'm 34 now. So back in the day, it was all forums. And it was a 
Swedish yeah, forms. Exactly. So it was actually talking with Swedes and learning their tuning secrets. And it was still a GM product, uh, the one that I had. So this was a 2001 9.3 is what I started with. But yeah, you had to really exchange information across the pond to learn to, to tune this thing. So that's where, kind of where I started. Then I actually moved abroad um, after college for six years uh, in Asia. Lived in Thailand and a little bit in Japan. Oh, interesting. Came back home. And, and those six years, I, you know, the, it was harder to interact with cars, right? It was, a, it was more of collecting mm-hmm. knowledge rather than collecting cars or driving cars. I, I drove yeah. plenty of cars, but mm-hmm. didn't own the cars that I would like to or had I been in the States put on. So I got back and I went a little haywire um, and just went crazy and said, all right, for you know, most of my 20s, I've been just consuming knowledge and that's the way I interacted with cars and kind of satisfied that love. Um, and I actually bought a, a Pontiac or a Pontiac Tempest with a GTO a built GTO motor in it. So 67 Pontiac Tempest modeled after a, uh, a, a GTO and it, this thing could get the front wheels off the ground. So kind of a weird, um, like, I was away from America, so this is kind of a welcome back to America. So that left, and then a Datsun 260, an early 260 came in, 260Z, and then sold both those to get a uh, G-Body 911, an 85 Targa, uh, which was kind of hot-rodded, like an R-Group type build. And then now I've calmed down quite a bit. I sold that that thing, and because, uh, you know, the market, like this is also with watches and, and Porsches, <laughs> the same thing, like, I'll never let go of my GMT Master, even though it's soared. Um, but the Porsche, I did, and then bought a 1995. Oh, actually, there was a Skyline, an R33 Skyline in between there. Oh, um, snap. So that was kind of a weird foray into JDM. This is the theme here is more like going back and revisiting childhood dreams. Um, mm. Then now, uh, a WRX Type RA, but a JDM one, though has a close ratio gearbox, a very short steering rack, uh, a closed deck EJ20. So that's, um, you know, it's the space in between the cylinders is not hollow like it is in later boxers. And tomorrow I'm going back east um, to buy kind of a grail car that uh, came to me in a weird fashion. You, you mentioned Petrolicious. I was doing a story in 2018 about this garage in Philly that was shutting down. It was the oldest continually operated garage in the country. It started, you know, at the turn of the century and it has been a garage since then. Um, and that was finally going by the wayside and it acted as storage for a lot of collectors and so forth. So I was there to do a story in the corner of my eye. I saw this alpha Julieta sprint and just asked about it. And that was 2018 and now 2022, the deal kind of came together. So <laughs> that's awesome. It'll be yeah, classic European and JDM. So that's kind of my my car journey in a nutshell. Uh, been all around. I've never owned. Actually, I owned an X3 at one point, believe it or not. <laughs> but never owned a BMW aside from the X3. Not on a sporty one, at least. Yeah, it's great. It's a I good mean, car, it's a, it did what it needed to do and did it with some style and reliability. Exactly. Um. Yeah, so yeah, that was my my car journey and. Very cool. Uh, the classic car stuff, writing. Recently, I I I did a story that was kind of neat on a 
a town up here in Utah called Park City. You probably know it. It's a pretty famous ski town. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Park City actually uses uh, Unimox. Like oh, the, wow. the town bought modern <laughs> Unimox to use to plow yeah. their streets because a they have some money but b the architecture yeah. of the town is as such where the roads are steep and narrow so that i i saw it one day i was just like oh that's a story there and investigated well how did they get it here well they imported it as agricultural equipment and that's how they got around all the stuff and so i stay active writing about cars every now and then and also we we write about cars in hodinky plenty um but it, what's crazy is the the car stuff doesn't get as much engagement and believe it or not a lot of Hodinkee's readership doesn't like when we write about cars plenty plenty of folks do they love it and they want more of this please and so forth but there's a surprising amount of pushback in the watch world it seems like there are plenty car guys are more likely to be watch guys than watch guys are likely to be car guys from my personal experience this is what I found interesting so any reason why the Watch people are not I think car people. Access to watches is a lot easier. So the the investment, both monetarily and emotionally, and space. A watch in a watch box takes up a lot less space than a car in a garage. You don't have to pay for insurance and upkeep. I mean, yeah, you have to pay for a service, but that's like once every five to ten years and sixty bucks on a time only watch. And also, a lot of folks who are into watches tend to be in cities. Uh, where it's car ownership is just harder. So this is kind of an easier way into appreciating analog mechanical art, per se. Gotcha, makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different from our side. I think we see, um, we see a totally different perspective. I, I think most of the guys that I met, you know, BMW fans, they're definitely watch guys too. And I can see that just by looking at their ways that I don't even have to talk to them, honestly. It's part. Of, it's part of the beauty, right? Uh, you can just cool. spot and be like, ah, you wouldn't be wearing exactly. that unless you were into watches. Mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah, but uh, I think some of us are guilty of the, um, you know, taking photos of the steering wheel. I mean, the, I'm you know, guilty too. But watches, we should. Too, we should not do it. You know, we have yeah, to stop yeah. this. I feel like t- <laughs> taking them is fine. But what's a What's a good way to take a photo though? <laughs> Like, let's say that you want to highlight the car and the photo. How would you take that shot? Though? Yeah, I don't even know, to be honest. Like, there's Tough some one, decent right? photo essays. There's one, I, I will say there's a decent photo essay that I think does a good job. Well, A, if you Google Goodwood yeah. Revival uh, watch photo essays, those, yeah. this guy, Mike Schaefer, mm-hmm. Capital Sunset, he goes by. He's Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Mike. He's, yeah, awesome. he's a fantastic Yeah, so he and I, he's we go awesome. to Goodwood yeah, every year. and yeah, he, Great guy. He's now a watch dude, so Schaefer has done a complete 180 and is now a hardcore watch dude as well, but we go to Goodwood and do watch spottings there, and uh, those are good, good ways. He he has an eye for integrating, you know, horology and and cars. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I I do, to be honest, so I can't answer your question with uh, that. I got to look at his Instagram. Yeah, no, I mean, I I met him through a few events, and I think the last Mm -hmm. ones were with Rolls Royce. We did did some photos together. Yeah, he takes some amazing photos. He really does. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say, if anyone does want to take oh, photos geez. of their watches and their cars, you know, it's fine. Just take them. I, I maybe, agree. Maybe yeah. don't post them. Don't post them if you don't want to like incur the wrath. But yeah, true. Yeah. Know, whatever, whatever makes you happy. That's it. And and I don't know if this yeah. actually, to be honest, I do know that it happens in the car world too. But this sort of toxicity in comment sections and this and that oh. might 
view on all this is do whatever the hell makes you happy. That's it. Period. Yeah, and and if if your if your um, point of interest yeah. happens to differ from anyone else, uh, that doesn't make any either party wrong. Exactly. You know, just enjoy what you like and leave uh, leave let people enjoy what they like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rachel, what's next? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, we've got time for a couple of questions. We're like, we don't want to keep. Uh, oh, I figured a quick fire so. thing would be nice. Just yeah. a, a bouncing yeah, between yeah. cards and yeah. watches. That way, we pair both things. All right, you ready, Cole? I'm you ready? ready? It's gonna it's gonna be fast. All right, I'm uh, I'm ready to to do it. <laughs> All right, Rolex or Omega? Mm, Rolex for every day. Omega for experimental stuff. Interesting. Uh, Rolls Royce or Bentley? Mm, Bentley. Patek or AP? <sighs> Patek, for me. Oh, that was heavy. That was that was a heavy sigh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, more interesting, I, I would say AP has turned into a one-trick pony to a degree with mm-hmm. the RO. Mm-hmm. Patek managed to keep the Nautilus where it needs to be, but also look beyond the Nautilus, and Patek has a ton of great stuff. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Rally era, Subaru or Mitsubishi? Subi all day, every day, boxer for life, 2.5 I mean, RS, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that because you had talked about Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Breitling or Zinn? Mm, interesting. Uh, I'm a Zinn guy, to be honest. I'm I'm guilty for sinning, I guess. Breitling, <laughs> Breitling has taken some wrong turns and then really in a, an amazing way redeemed themselves recently. Uh, but Zinn has kind of been chugging along and steadfast all along, very reliable, and you know what you're getting, right? So as brand-wise, I think Zinn is underappreciated on sites like Hodinkee and exists more in the enthusiast sphere. But for me, sin. Okay. Oh, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Listen, I'm not going to not like you for saying that. You know, like, <laughs> I know you're right. <laughs> I am. Just Both are great. That. Both these options on everyone that you've given me are, are excellent. Yeah. And they can exist and everyone can enjoy. All right. Because I know that you're, uh, you're into rallying a little bit. Lancia, Delta, Integrale, or Audi Quattro? Old school. Mm, interesting question. Both great, of course, but I think spiritually, Lancia is just on another level. The things that they were doing, like to do front wheel drive back in the, the days of the Fulvia, the lightweight Fulvias, the Delta Negrale, looks like a you know blocky thing from the future. I think Lancia was just too far ahead of their time that they're not even around anymore, right? That's how far ahead of their time they were. Um, yeah. Where Audi, I mean... Again, Audi's almost like Sin, right? Like they've been slowly iterating on the Quattro platform for a long time. And the the philosophical portion of Lancia interests me more. Like what can we do that is different than everyone else? Rather than let's take this thing and you know, make it better and better and better and better over time, you know? So right, Lancia. Right. Fair, fair. Uh, okay, I think I know the answer to this one, but I'll ask it anyways. Uh, F.B. Jorn or uh, Alanga Unzune? Mm, so this is interesting because it's kind of an inverse from the oh. Lancia versus Audi question, right? In this case, yep. Lange is Audi, right? Very slow permutations on design over time. Like they change the font and the, the people go wild, right? The collectors of Lange go wild. Jorn, on the other hand, kind of rewrote the game, uses fonts that are specific to his brand, uh, introduced an aesthetic that is entirely his own, which in 
watches in general can be very derivative. Jorn is not. But in this case, opposite of Lancia, I would say Lange, more more interesting simply because of the built-in Germanness and also not really hyped. Jorn has gotten hyped big time recently, mm-hmm. and that's like just a just a turnoff. And let's separate the watches from the hype. Even I think uh, what Jorn is doing is interesting with like resonance and so forth. But for a piece that I think I would wear all the time, would be eighteen fifteen up down or eighteen fifteen chronograph would be what I would reach for. So I'm gonna have to say long on this one. Okay, uh, fair, fair. Uh, this next one is gonna make a lot of people uh, well like you or I don't know. The opposite of that. Or not. <laughs> M3 or M4? E46 M3 oh. in Laguna Seca Blue. High school hero for me. Either that mustard yellow or Laguna Seca Blue <laughs> yeah. uh, with the, the Umnitza yeah. Iconic, yeah. rings up top. Oh. Maybe a oh, yeah. Eisenman or whatever that exhaust was was popular in the early 2000s. Yeah. Some AC yeah. Schnitzer yeah. type three wheels maybe. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> HREs, AC Schnitzer, whatever. Yeah, that's that's the one for me. M3 of that era. Um, All right. Yeah, M4. Eh, yeah, you know. I agree. Okay. I mean, I'm happy with what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure others will disagree, but but that's okay. We can we can all like our own things, like we just said the, for a third time. Yeah. This one, I'm very curious. Casio. Mm-hmm. Or Richard Mill. No context, right? That's the rule. There's no context. Nope, that's the rule. That's that's it. I mean, you could go so many ways, right? Historical or like uh, technological achievement or... Well, that's uh, the thing. The interesting thing is they're more alike than they are different in many ways. It, it kind of breaking the mold and rethinking what this thing is. Richard Mill managed to do that with the inclusion of materials that no one else was using and an extreme focus on lightweight stuff. Casio, same. I mean, Casio is very much the same thing. Uh, I would... The G-Shock, like the guiding principles of the G-Shock are very similar to what RM is going for too. Like with, like for, let's say like the uh, Nadal special, the same idea. Um, One of them even survived the F1 crash, right? You're Uh, right. So (laughs) that's crazy. uh, Casio is just more my speed. I mean, I, I'm not a G-Shock guy, but I'm certainly not a Richard Mill guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you're picking the lesser of the two. Yeah, for me. I mean, what matters. Okay. So, yeah, that's what I would say. And I, the interesting thing about both these brands is that they have very, very invested followings in ways that other brands don't, right? G-Shock people are just on another level of yeah. obsessiveness about their realm of virology. And Richard Mill people, I mean... I can't tell you I know too many people that own one. I know I probably know a few, and they might not even know that I know that they own one. But um, I know the following of, of those is like religious, right? Cult-like. So yeah, interesting question on your end, I would say. Thank you. Uh, last one. It's, uh, we're going to keep with the legendary classics. Uh, BMW E30 M3 mm-hmm. or Mercedes 190E Evo 2. You're not going to be offended if I don't pick the BMW, right? No, no. It's a, this is, you're the guest of honor. Come on. <laughs> you can say whatever you so, want. So I will yeah, say fair, I've only driven the E30 M3. I actually, uh, now I don't do it anymore after I moved, but in the past I used to be an instructor up at Monticello Motor Club. Yeah, so where one of the members oh, really? had an E30 That's M3, cool. which 
he, you know, he, you know, threw me the keys and said, you know, take a hot lap and so forth. And it was a transformative experience. I would say it, uh, it felt way more like JDM stuff when I was in high school and early college, like high revving, keep it up there, keep it pinned in the red. And I liked that feeling. And I don't think that the, uh, Mercedes has that quality or that driving characteristic. I think it's kind of interesting approach to engineering keep it high in the rev range as opposed to torquey which i think the mercedes is i don't know i've never really driven one so i would i would say e30 m3 just simply based on experience Uh, although the mercedes would be really interesting you know seeing a pattern in that yeah seeing a pattern in the high beat you mm, like your high yeah. beat watches, you like your high revving watches or uh, cars. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah, you, you might be onto something. <laughs> That's the end of the quick fire uh, segment. Uh, anything else we want to bring up? No, I think. Uh, yeah, we don't want to keep cold too long, but I'm I'm hoping that one day you'll come back because I feel like there are a lot more topics that we okay. can talk about. And I know you do have to catch a quick flight right now, so. Um, no, I truly appreciate you taking the time. So it's extremely interesting. I mean, honestly, even from from a uh, you know car guy perspective, you know, I get to learn about watches from someone that you know writes about that every single day. Oh, so the pleasure is mine. Quite like, exciting. I, I really enjoy being on. Uh, like I said, this is yeah, it's no, great it's... to talk about cars too, right? Like, not only talk about watches all the time. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think the next one will make it more about cars because you did have a lot of cool experiences lately. I mean, you went with Porsche to uh, to Europe to drive on ice, so that's kind of cool. And I've done similar things recently also. So I think, you know, the the next episode, we can really just talk about cars. Because, I mean, since you were an instructor at uh, Monticello, well, I mean, you the, definitely know. Well, the honor drive, would be so. mine to, to come back whenever whenever you want. You'll, you'll have me. Yeah, you know? yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, hopefully travel, you know, slows down. It's the same thing for us. We're quite busy with travel right now. Everything is happening right now. Doing actually last Porsche too, so I just driving experience? No, no. I actually, I actually went to the testing center there, and I uh, and I drove a uh, BMW iX5 uh, hydrogen uh, prototype. So they're they're playing around with this technology, yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, it was quite cold. But um, they do have um, a winter ice driving school there. I just didn't do that this time, but I did have a chance to uh, kind of drift. Yeah, we do have some stories to exchange. Them, bit, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly for sure. Hopefully, we get to meet each other well, at some car events so. too. Maybe you know, never know. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much again. You know, have a safe flight, and um, yeah, we'll. Uh, Pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me back one day. Appreciate you coming by, Cole. Right. Big thanks to everyone, thanks, uh, all of our listeners and viewers. Take of care. course, massive thanks to Cole. And uh, yeah, this concludes the episode of uh, PMW Blog Podcast number sixty-three. Subscribe for more, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Bye, all. Cheers, guys.